Well, good morning, brothers. It's sweet to be with you, to sing with you this morning, and to consider hearing and studying God's Word. We're all familiar with the, the question, the hypothetical, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, so another way to put the question, if a preacher preaches a sermon and there's no one there to hear it, is the word preached? So let's talk about and let's think about hearing and how faith comes by hearing, as Romans 10, 17 teaches us. So how and when do we hear the word? We can hear it in our homes, in our cars, the gym. Uh, we have an embarrassment of access to God's word in our modern culture with technology to hear God's word. But we certainly hear it during the gathering, um, during our Sunday gatherings and Lord's Supper services. That's where I want to focus this morning. So I've got two points for us this morning. One, how to listen like a preacher. And then point two, how to study like a preacher. So hang with me. So if this is true, that, um, oh, I need, to make, I need to make my argument. My argument that I want to make is that the most important 45 to 55 minutes of your week is the preaching moment every Sunday. And so I'm going to just assume that you guys are all with me, that the hearing of God's word preached is really important. And if you disagree with me, we can fight about it later. Um, but we're, I'm just going to presume that upon our time this morning, that the most important 45, if Ryan's preaching 55 minutes on, of our week, is the preaching moment on a Sunday. So if that's true, then we should want to be really good sermon listeners and sermon hearers. So how can we listen uh, like a preacher? I like to call this room the auditorium, and we, we argue about it. It's called the worship center on the sign. Some people call it the sanctuary. I like auditorium. Auditorium comes from a Latin word, to hear. So we, we hear, it's the room we hear in. So as we gather in this auditorium on Sunday, tomorrow morning, we will gather to hear, to hear God's word. Hearing's a big deal in the Bible, right? God is a God of words, spoken words. Long before anything would be written down or read, God spoke. He spoke. Creation came into being. He spoke to and through uh, the patriarchs, as we see, as we're seeing in the book of Genesis, through prophets. And then, as the book of Hebrews says, he spoke through his son, Jesus, and then through the apostles. And now he speaks uh, often through preachers, not in the same way that he spoke through to the patriarchs and through the patriarchs. Uh, preachers don't come with a new revelation. We don't come with anything new, uh, but it is a re-revelation of God's word that we come to hear every Sunday, um, and that is significant. I also think it's important to remember the, the historical context of the Bible and most of the history of God's people. It, uh, the history of God's people is an oral history. It's it was spoken, heard, and remembered, and passed down from generation to generation through the spoken word. Uh, we see this theme, a major uh, note in this theme, in Deuteronomy 6. You guys are familiar 
we often call this the Shema, which is the Hebrew word that means to hear. And that section of scripture talks about, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then teach your children, and this is how you do it. Um, it's all through hearing. Yes, things are written down. Praise God. We, we have God's word written down. Uh, but before the printing press, before literacy was, was, uh, rates uh, rose, uh, the majority of Bible intake for the majority of Christian history was through hearing. It's through the hearing, remembering, and dwelling on God's word. So, um, so how can we as modern Christians in a modern technology uh, inundated era uh, become better sermon listeners? So I have, some, uh, I have seven P's, seven P words. I'm a true pupil of Ryan Kelly. So I have seven P words uh, for us to help us consider that like a preacher, uh, there are things we should do before, during, and after the preaching moment as we, as we gather to hear God's word. So what do we do um, to prepare like a preacher and to listen like a preacher? Well, I already gave you the first P. We prepare. So Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 says that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules to Israel. So I want us to think about setting our heart to hear the word. Um, and I'm, I want us to think biblical heart. And I think a lot of you will know what I mean by that. When we think of heart, we think emotions. But the Bible had a, a more robust view of what the heart was. It was all of us. It was our, it was our mind, our emotions, our will. So we want to set all of ourselves up to hear, to receive, to do, and to teach God's word. And that takes preparation. Uh, to start, you have to decide in your mind that you will give yourself to this task, to the task of hearing the word preached. You will be here on Sundays. You will gather. You will uh, listen uh, attentively. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So give yourself to the task. Uh, another way to prepare, we soak in God's word, soak in the text, uh, particularly as we're going through books of the Bible. We give you guys a heads up. You know what's coming. We're in Genesis. We're going to think about Genesis. So just be soaking in the book of Genesis all week. Uh, I listen to it on my commute when I'm, when I'm driving uh, to and from appointments and to the church building. I'll just put on the book of Genesis and just listen to it. Um, and it just, it, it just, I just steep in it. Um, all week. Um, we just recently had a Simeon Trust workshop uh, a couple of weeks ago where uh, pastors get together to practice uh, expositional preaching. So it's, it's, a, it's really a, a workshop on expositional preaching for guys to get better at handling the text and a lot of the things that Alex mentioned even from that book are things that we do. Uh, but when you're in one of the main teaching sessions and it's like, how do we get the context, or how do we get the meaning of the text, or how do you find the structure of a particular passage? One of the answers is always read and reread. So if you want to find anything about uh, the text, we read and reread. So when you're preparing to come to a, a sermon text, like tomorrow we'll be looking at Genesis 40 and 41, read it, reread it, reread it again, reread it again, and just over and over and over, uh, that repetition will help us prepare. 
Family worship. I think family worship is a key way to prepare yourself. Uh, if, you're, if you're married, uh, if you have kids, uh, this is a great way to train your kids and to, and to love and serve uh, your family. And for us, we simply would sit and read. And every Saturday night, we read the text for Sunday morning. And then we, we talk about it. Uh, and we might sing a song or two. Uh, lately, uh, because I pick the songs, uh, I, I'll ask my kids after we read the text for Sunday. I'll say, all right, guys, what songs do you think we should sing tomorrow based on that text? Trying to get them thinking about what songs might come up from the text. And uh, sometimes they get them right. So, uh, so I'm proud of them. Um, but we'll, we may sing a song that, that would come from the text. But with those family gatherings, uh, that's a way that helps us prepare uh, to set our hearts to the task of hearing God's word and to get our family even excited about what's uh, my kids call Ryan Mr. Fry Fry. It's, yeah. Uh, so they're like, what's Mr. Fry Fry going to say about this? I'm like, I don't know. He's, it's crazy. Uh, so let him tell you. Uh, so that's one way we prepare uh, family worship. Um, another way that we can prepare to hear God's word, brothers, is through repentance, through confession of sin. Um, we need to confess that, um, that our hearts have strayed, that our minds have wandered, that we have not come to the hearing of God's word as we should, that we haven't had the posture that we should. I think unconfessed sin can and will clog our ears from hearing God's word. Uh, we don't want to be like the, the, the soil that the seed is cast on and then the bird comes and plucks it away. Um, we want to be prepared, uh, cultivated soil that receives the word. Um, and I think unconfessed sin is a way that can harden us to the hearing of God's word. And then we prepare by studying God's word, which we'll talk more about in the second half here this morning. So first P is to prepare. Second P is we pray. We pray. So how do we prepare and listen like a preacher? We pray. A, a preacher is going to pray as he's coming to a text. He's going to pray while he's studying the text. He's going to pray before he preaches the text. He's going to pray while, he, while he's preaching the text. Lord, make this effective. So we should do the same thing. We should pray during the week that we would be receptive. We should pray, uh, I think, of three categories of people that we should pray for. We should pray for the preacher. We should pray that he would um, be free of error, that the Lord would, would guide him to the right words and, and give him clarity and boldness. Um, we should pray for ourselves, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate his word and give life to his word in our hearts and minds as we hear it. And then we should pray for others around us. Pray for your family. Pray for the guests that you brought. Pray for uh, the brother or sister that you know is struggling. And pray for them as you're hearing God's word so that we pray before, during, and after. It's just like MC Hammer said, guys. We've got to pray to make it today. So, remember that, if you remember nothing else today. All right, so we, we pray, we pray. Um, number three, we posture. So posture is important when we come to God's word. I'm going to talk about physical and mental, emotional, spiritual posture. So, it's kind of all of us. We want to come with a posture of eagerness. You guys remember the, the noble Bereans in Acts 17, that they received the word with eagerness. And what's interesting, I think, in the context of Acts 17, is that the Bereans, it talks about how they, they diligently search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. 
I think that these things that they're searching the scriptures for were the things that Paul and Silas were preaching about in the synagogues. So they were hearing sermons, and if, if I'm doing my Bible right, I'm guessing they're hearing sermons about the resurrection, and they're going to search the Old Testament, because that's the scripture they would have had, to see if there's a resurrection coming, and if what Paul and Silas is saying is there. Um, so I just think it's so fascinating so that, that one of the main groups of people in the New Testament that have elevated as good sermon listeners, uh, they're hearing the word preached, and then they're diligently uh, applying that sermon, searching the text to see if that sermon is so. So it's not so much that the Bereans were just really good at quiet times, but they took the preaching of God's word really seriously, and, and they received it eagerly. So do you come eager to hear God's word? Um, that should be something we all we all uh, seek to do. Uh, it's, like, it's like me going to a steak dinner. You don't have to drag me kicking and screaming. Man, I come to the table eager. I am ready. And I know that I'm going to enjoy it, and it is going to be effective. And then I'm going to talk about it, right? That's how we should come to the preaching of God's word. We come with fork and knife ready to devour uh, the meat of God's word. Um, and just side note here, guys. Uh, we, get, we get meat from this pulpit, um, and I'm just I'm so thankful. And we are, we are truly blessed for, by, by Ryan and Chase and Alex and Randy and all those that stand in this pulpit and, and say, thus saith the Lord. We get meat, brothers, so come hungry and, and leave happy and healthy, uh, fed by God's word. Amen. Uh, we posture through eagerness, also attentiveness. Man, we're a distracted culture, right? There are so many things vying for our attention. Um, and some of us, we, we, use, we use our smartphones or tablets for our Bibles. That's, that's fine. That's great. Whatever gives you access to God's Word. Uh, but just know the distractions that can come with that kind of thing. And, and even know the distractions that could come with, with having a big old Bible and having a notepad and page and pen and whatever, whatever means you use to understand and, and, and hear and receive God's Word. Uh, just know yourself and know the distractions. Um, we have a lot of babies in our gatherings. It's just wonderful. It's the sounds of life. Our church is alive because you can hear it every Sunday during the sermons. Uh, but that can be a distraction. Try to remove those distractions from you. Just don't be distracted by it. Uh, just decide, I'm just not going to be distracted. Or even pray for that poor mother or father that's wrangling that, that, uh, that six-month-old. Um, so that can be another way that we pray. But we want to be attentive. We want to remove distractions. Families, if you've got young kids, uh, bringing them into the gathering, that's wonderful. Um, teach them to not be distracted themselves and to not be a distraction. One simple way that we do that is through uh, minimizing the amount of things that they can touch. So we don't bring like tons of notebooks and tons of markers and pencils and a whole bag of crayons and all that stuff that they can then rummage through. Uh, so if you have young kids, just we do a one-page one one writing utensil. You got one page, you got one writing utensil. So it's just less for them to, to mess with. So because you know as parents, you're just more, you're more, usually you're more attentive to your kids than others. So that can help you as a parent not be distracted. Uh, we posture uh, with tenderness. We come uh, with soft hearts. Uh, and that, that, takes, that takes preparation. That takes prayer. And then we come with hearts that are tender to hear God's word. I would connect that closely with humility. We come knowing that we don't know everything, knowing that we need this. 
uh, knowing that this is God's primary means of getting the word into our hearts, into our minds, is through preaching. God resists the proud. If we come to his word proud, uh, he will resist us, and we will not be fed. Um, have you ever been in a really good sermon and thought, man, I'm so glad so-and-so is hearing this? <laughs> right? Uh, it may be true. It may be, oh, man, that was, that was really valuable, and, and, and I'm glad so-and-so heard this. Uh, but oftentimes, that's a, that's a bit of a check-yourself-before-you-wreck-yourself moment uh, when, you're, when you're thinking, yeah, so-and-so, they really need to hear this. Well, maybe, maybe you need to hear this, and you probably do. So we come humble knowing that we need it. All right, so we posture. Uh, number four, we participate. I want to make an argument for preaching as dialogical. So, sure, it's a monologue. Preacher gets up, talks, we listen. But there are ways where it is not just the work of the one man, uh, but the work of the many, that we participate, that we are active in uh, and not passive listeners only, not just a bunch of ears. Amen. Can I get an amen? That's right. So there, is, there are ways that we can respond appropriately. And an amen. Oh, that's right. Come on now. I don't know what our church could handle, but... But I would love for our church to grow in its, in its responsiveness to the preaching. Um, so I just want to commend you brothers to, if you feel, uh, you feel it appropriate, you feel it right in your soul and in your mind to respond to the preachers here, uh, that, would, that would be, again, be appropriate, not be a distraction, um, th- then, then do it. That's right. Then do it. I know I annoy the heck out of everybody in my section because I'm just chatting. I'm like talking with Ryan. Like he and I are just having a conversation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, yes, he's making points. Um, and I think, I think that can be an encouragement to the preacher that you're here, that you're listening, and that you're responding. So we participate in that way. Um, we also participate, like I mentioned, in just how we what we're holding, how we listen, how we receive it, notes. Are we a note taker? Are we typing? Are we writing? Um, this looks different for everybody. So for me, uh, I, uh, I was taught music from a young age. Uh, my mom gave me piano lessons, uh, voice lessons uh, when I was really little. And I learned, we learned very early on that I, uh, I learned by ear. So I'm, a, I'm an oratory learner. I'm an audible learner. I learned through hearing. Um, one, one example of this would be in my piano lessons. Uh, my mom learned that she couldn't play the example for me because I would just listen to her play it and then mimic it. I wasn't actually learning to read the sheet music. So if I was, if I was learning a new song in my piano lessons, I would be like, hey, mom, could you play it for me? And, and she finally learned that she couldn't because then I would just parrot it back to her because I learned, through, uh, I learned by ear. So, the way sermon, I don't know if, yeah, some of you have noticed this and some of you have talked to me about it and asked me about it. Um, when I come to the preaching moment, I don't have anything in front of me. I don't even have my Bible in front of me. Okay, hang with me here. Um, I'm, I'm borderline dyslexic. Um, I've never been tested. I can't spell. I can't write. When we, we were growing up, I was at a church where it was a huge culture of note-taking. It was like your godliness 
was determined by the amount of notes you took in a sermon. So, I mean, you just had to, like, basically transcribe the sermon. Um, so I would be sitting there, like, in middle school, trying to write things, and I'm, I'm such a horrible speller, and I've got horrible handwriting, and I'm, like, changing what I'm writing based on words I can spell, right? I'm having to, like, interpret the sermon. And then, and then I'm, while I'm writing the sentence, I miss everything the preacher just said. So, a long time ago, I got rid of notes. And then, in the recent years, I even got rid of having a Bible in front of me. So, I'm not going to make an argument for this, okay? I'm not going to prescribe this to anyone else. I just want to explain how I listen to sermons, and I actually believe that it is really effective for me. Um, I think I get distracted by having the text in front of me. I'm looking at other words. I'm looking ahead. I, I, I like see a funny word, and I'm like, oh, that's a weird word. And things like that that, could act, that would actually distract me. Um, and so I felt like I was in good company, given, given the fact that all the Christians uh, for, for generations wouldn't have had a copy or all the scrolls of God's word as they heard the apostles preaching. Um, so I said, you know what, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen. And because of the way I learn, I, I retain and I understand and I experience the preaching moment with more depth, with more clarity, with more retention than, ever, than I ever did before. Um, so there's a lot that goes into that. But that's just, that's just one man's story of how I come to God's word. And again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't prescribe that to you per se, but that is just one way uh, to hear, to retain uh, God's word. My daughter Bella is like on the other end of the spectrum. For years, uh, she would basically storyboard sermons, almost like comic strips, like especially a narrative. She would, have, she would come home with her notes. I would look down, and I'm like, is she paying attention? Because she's just, she's just going. But then I'd ask her about it. We always talk about it after the, after the sermon on Sundays. And she, and she would just have the whole story in a comic book strip. And it was incredible, and we still have, we still have those. Um, and so that was a way. That was a way for her to learn. Greg Gilbert, who was just here and preached for us, we were at the Simeon uh, Trust Workshop together, and we were in the pre-workshop going through it with all the small group leaders. And guys would be talking, and I was sitting next to Greg, and I look over there, and he's just doodling on his page. I mean, drawing things that didn't have anything to do with anything. And so in one of the breaks, I said, I said Greg, is that, is that a focusing, like, fidget for you? Is that, a, is that a way for you to focus? And he said, absolutely. He said, that would come out somewhere. He was like, I would be fidgeting, or I'd be moving, I'd be bouncing. You guys remember Trent Hunter would just, like, play the drums on his leg with his, with his pens uh, and drive everyone around him crazy. So that was Greg's way of focusing. So know how you focus, know how you listen, and, and, and take it seriously and, and do it. Uh, there's a little booklet that I want to uh, commend to you guys um, called Expository Listening by Ken Ramey. R-A-M-E-Y. Ken Ramey. Uh, he's a pastor in Texas. Uh, Dave Hughes' son, Josh, goes to his church in Texas. He wrote a helpful booklet on, on this very thing. Um, and he uses the illustration of a pitcher and a catcher. And I love that illustration, right? A pitcher needs a catcher, needs somebody to receive the ball and to be there ready and eager and willing uh, and attentive to receive it. So think of yourselves like sermon catchers, and you're showing up, uh, and that can come out in, in your posture. Um, I mean, if you look at, if, if the sermon guy looks out, and I don't want to like, make anybody feel weird, but if, if you're just like, kind of sitting back, like, you know, kind of side-eyeing the preacher and, and kind of almost grilling them, even if you're like, really focused, 
that, can, that can look like you're not ready to receive the ball. Right? That's like a catcher that's got his glove down. And then the pitcher's, the pitcher's going to throw it, and the pitcher's wondering, is he going to get his glove up? So I think physically we can, we can be more or less attentive and participate uh, with the way we posture uh, to connect all the peas together. Um, so tomorrow, let's give Ryan some good amens where they're appropriate. Um, and uh, let's give him some, a good target. Let's give him a good strike zone uh, as, as listeners, the way we posture, the way we listen, the way we hear and receive. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 13, uh, Paul commends the public reading of Scripture uh, to Timothy as, as something that should be part of the regular life of the church. And as I was reading that, considering that for this week, I just thought of, I thought of this, this very exercise of hearing and how we participate and how we, there's, a, there's a speaker and there's a hearer and how it, how it goes together to, to make something uh, amazing happen. Um, when, we, when we come to a sermon and we have the text in front of us, uh, the preacher could just say, okay, the text for this morning is Genesis 40. Let's all read it. And then we all just read it internally, right? It wouldn't have the same effect, would it? There is something significant that happens when God's word goes out into space, goes out into time and space and in our ears. I don't want to get super metaphysical here, guys, but we believe in, in more than what we can see, feel, and touch, right? So there is something that happens when God's word is spoken out loud. And so I would commend that to you just as a regular practice in your Bible study, in your homes, in your cars, to hear God's word and to read it out loud uh, because I think that is significant. Uh, we are made to make noise, to receive noise, and when it's God's word, it's, it's special. All right, so we participate, then we, then we praise. Um, we, we talk about revelation and response. So the next P is praise. Um, the, the preaching moment is worship, brothers. It is a worship-filled and fueled moment for the preacher and the hearer. When the man of God I'm going to get little Alistair Beggy here. When the man of God preaches the word of God by the spirit of God to the people of God, that is worship. That is, um, that is revelation and response happening all over again. We hear God's word and we respond to it with praise. Uh, and again, back like how we don't just read silently the, the scripture, but we, we read it out loud. When we were just singing, when Luke was, was leading us and singing, um, we don't just read the hymn text quietly to ourselves and think, oh yeah, be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. That's nice. Um, now we sing it, right? We sing it out loud. Why do we do that? Um, I think because, again, something significant happens when we put this out into time and space with our voices, with our bodies, when we unite ourselves and when we, when we praise. And we do that when we hear preaching of God's word. When we hear God's word, we hear from God through his word, and his word rightly preached, then we respond. We sing, my father planned it all. Um, I sing, I can't be silent. That's how I feel. I feel like I'm, I'm coming out of my chair uh, before Ryan even finishes his sermon, because it's like, we have to respond. That's why we do a song, um, Lord willing, after every sermon. It's an opportunity for us to corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. And that's why you'll hear me often say, almost every week, let's stand and respond. 
It is, it is our right response to hearing God's word, to praise. We'll sing in a minute from uh, Psalm 119, which Psalm 119 is basically a, a love song to God for his word. Um, he says at the very end of 119, my tongue will sing your word for all of your commandments are right. So we respond uh, and we, we praise after we participate. So we prepare, we pray, we posture, we participate, and then we praise. And then from there, the next P, we ponder. So I often think about Mary in Luke 2 after she hears God's word uh, over her through the, through the angelic messengers, how she treasures up in her heart. And Ryan preached on this a couple of uh, Christmas Eves ago or maybe last Christmas Eve. Um, I just think that's a beautiful image to treasure up in our heart God's word. After we hear it, we treasure it. It is like the most valuable thing to us as Christians. Um, we're, not just, we're not just, you know, picking out some nice applications and it's going to help me be a better husband or better neighbor, which is, which is true. It's not just that. We treasure it. We store it up in our hearts. Again, Psalm 119 says he hides it, which another word that could be translated treasures, the word in his heart that he might not sin against God. So we ponder, we treasure. And one of the mechanisms for doing that is through uh, our community groups. So if you're not in a community group, that's kind of a pondering group. We come together to ponder, to treasure these things, to, to, to store them up uh, in each other's hearts and to encourage that. Uh, so we do that. We do that with our family every Sunday when we're driving home from, from the gathering and at our, at our lunch table. We ponder and we discuss it. So this Sunday, go to a community group or go to lunch with somebody, invite somebody to lunch and ponder on the preaching of God's word, the treasure of God's word uh, after the sermon. All right, so we ponder and then we perform. So Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty eight. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So Jesus is implying that you can hear the word and not keep it. That you can read it and not keep it. So I want us to be a church of keepers, of word keepers. So we listen and obey. You guys with, uh, with kids, you ever say that to your kids? That is a common refrain in our house, especially when they were young. Listen and obey. <laughs> they got to do both. Uh, they could do one, not the other. Uh, they listen and obey. Um, that is, again, that is a right response, brothers, to the preaching of God's word, to go and to do it, to go and to keep it. Um, it we don't, this isn't all theoretical, right? We're not, we're not Gnostics where it's just all knowledge up in the air and it doesn't affect anything we do, think, or say. No, the Bible has a word for us uh, and it has commands. So we go and we perform. Uh, another P word could be practice, to practice these things. But I like to perform and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, we don't perform for others. We don't perform so others can see our piety. Uh, we don't even perform for God uh, so that he'll accept us. Now think of it this way, brothers. We perform like a surgeon performs surgery. It is vital and it is life-saving to perform the word of God, to keep it. 
Does that make sense? So give me somebody who hears the preaching of God's word on a Sunday and goes and keeps it. Give me that man over a guy who reads his Bible every day but is a jerk to his wife. So let's keep, let's keep the word, brothers. James 1. Marshall referenced this earlier. Starting in verse 22, James 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. That implies we hear, right? Hear. Be doers, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. There's some of you brothers in here that this verse has never really clicked. Um, But I'll just leave it at that. Okay, number 25, verse 25. Uh, But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's the mirror, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let's be, let's be doers of the word and not hearers only, not one in one ear, out the other. Not somebody who looks at their face in the mirror and looks like this and then walks out and doesn't make any changes. Um, God's word is, is a mirror, the perfect law, the law of liberty. I love the way he describes it. It will set us free uh, if we look at it and see ourselves clearly in light of the hearing of God's word and then go and do uh, what the word requires of us to do. Okay, so that's hearing. So quickly now, let's, let's look at studying. So we're going to study like a preacher. So this will be, this will be shorter. Um, we've already even heard some helpful tools in Alex's book review of how to do this very thing. Um, I want to talk about quiet time versus quality time. So I think in our modern church culture, we've romanticized the idea of a quiet time just a little bit. Uh, like it's some sacrament, uh, daily sacrament to score us points with God. Um, I think some of us in here, brothers, and, and hang with me here because you're going to feel like I'm being a heretic, and I promise I'm not. You don't need me to tell you to read your Bibles more, right? Show of hands who needs to read their Bible more. Yeah, let's all do it. Okay. We all want to read our Bibles more. But I'd wager some of you maybe don't need another Bible reading plan. You're, you're, you're trying to keep up with your McShane or whatever reading plan you're doing. You don't need another daily devotional guide. You may not even need to read the Bible more than you already are reading it. You may need to read your Bibles better. You may need to study God's Word and not simply read it. Um, Simply knowing the Bible cannot save you. Right? Simply knowing what the Bible says cannot save you. Jesus will save you. Jesus condemns the Pharisees in John chapter 5 for this very thing. He says to them in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, about Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees knew their Bibles really well, better than anyone else. Satan knows his Bible better than you do. It is only Jesus. It is only by faith and trust and belief in his life, death, and resurrection, that we have life. Amen? So if you're here today, 
and you don't have that faith. You don't have that belief. Keep reading your Bible. Keep studying your Bible. Keep coming. Certainly don't hear me say, don't read your Bibles. Um, But know that all the knowledge of God's Word won't be enough. It's faith in the one that the Bible teaches us about. It's faith in the one that the Bible uh, came, uh, uh, came about to tell us of. It's faith in the Word made flesh, Jesus, uh, that saves you. So put your faith in Him, not in uh, the, just the knowledge that you get from the Bible. We need to, like the man in Psalm 1 that Daniel referenced, we need to delight in God's Word more, I think. Not just read it, but delight in it. Uh, we need to slow down to devour, to savor God and Jesus, the Word incarnate, uh, through our Bible study. So again, don't hear me say, don't read your Bible. But hear me say, don't read it like a textbook or a newspaper or a social media feed. Read it like a treasure map. We pour over it. You search it diligently to find the treasure that is God, knowledge of God, and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I thought of this. You don't delight in the taste of honey by reading the description or the ingredients on the honey jar, right? Oh, interesting. It's raw. It's natural. It's local. Uh, no, right? You taste it. You taste it. You take it in. And, you, and we take in God's word in part in, in times that we hear the, the word preached, but also when we study it. So one, one um, uh, means of studying, some tools that we could put in our tool belt as, as good Bereans, noble Bereans of God's word as we study it. Uh, Alex mentioned some. I want to mention the coma method, C-O-M-A. That, that comes from Dave Helm's book, One-to-One Reading. How many of you guys have seen that, heard that? One-to-one Bible reading? Yeah. So in the back of that, or in that book, he, he gives us coma. So repeat after me. Context. Observation. Meaning. Application. Context, observation, meaning, application. So context is uh, the immediate literary context, what comes before, what comes after. It's also historical context, what was going on at the time, and the original audience would have heard this. So the context helps us understand uh, God's word. And we do that by asking certain questions of different text types. Alex mentioned this as well. We are in Old Testament narrative in Genesis. It's an Old Testament story. So some of the questions we can ask about context in Old Testament narrative is what has happened so far in this narrative? Or what has happened just prior to this section of us reading? What happens after? So those are questions we can ask about context. So that's key. And, and I like this order. So Alex mentioned a little bit of qualms with the order in that, in that Getting It Right book. I like this order of context. And then observations. Observations for Old Testament narrative could be, uh, what do we learn about the main characters in this section? Uh, is there conflict or a high point uh, in this passage? So that's some observations we can make about uh, Old Testament narrative to help us understand. And then M, meaning. We get to the meaning of the text. Uh, questions we could ask, does someone in the narrative learn something or grow in some way? How does this passage point forward to what God is going to do in the future. Right? We have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. Then also, does it prophesy or anticipate Jesus Christ in any way? 
I think that's a wonderful question to ask when we come to Old Testament narrative. Jesus in Luke 24 said, it's all about me. So we, as Bible students, need to be diligent and responsible in how we see Jesus fulfilled in Old Testament narrative. And the, pre- the preachers of the, the word here do a great job of that, so lean on that and, and see, examine how Ryan tomorrow from Genesis 40 and 41 will get us to Jesus, will get us to the New Testament, will get us to the cross. Pay attention to that and then take those tools with you as you read the word on your own and study it. All right, meaning and then application. So after we've gotten the context, the lay of the land, observations about the passage, then we get to the meaning of the passage, then from that we can apply it to our lives. And so we ask questions, how does this passage challenge your understanding about who God is and what he's like? Or is there some attitude or behavior that you need to change? Uh, Is there some command in the scripture? Is there an imperative to go and do? Uh, Those are good applications for us. So at this point, you may feel overwhelmed. Um, You may feel like, I don't don't know what you're talking about, man. I don't know how to do this. I, I barely know, like, how to find the books of the Bible. That's okay. You don't do this alone. We don't do this alone. We do theology together. We do Bible study together. Christopher Hall, in his book, Reading the Scriptures with Church Fathers, writes this. And I'll wrap it up with this. The fathers, church fathers, are insistent that spiritual, theological, and biblical insight does not appear overnight. Instead, they adamantly insist that the Bible opens itself to those who have immersed themselves in its riches and pondered it deeply within the context of prayer, worship, and communal reflection. That's the church. He goes on to say, the problems and realities Scripture addresses, like sin, evil, death, life, Incarnation, redemption, creation, recreation demand the attention of the mind and heart that has learned to be patient, to listen, to be silent. And I love this. To study with the mind of the heart. And brothers, the Lord has not left us without hope or help to study his word. We have each other. We have the church. We have his spirit in us. We have all that we need. So real quickly, and I'll, I promise I'm going to wrap it up, uh, just some objections that you may have, and I think this will help in your, in your small group discussions. Uh, one objection. Drew, you talk about listening like a preacher and preparing like a preacher. I'm not a preacher, and I don't ever plan to be a preacher. Well, what is a preacher's main task? To understand, to teach, and apply the word. Who in here doesn't want to be able to do that? To understand, to teach, and to apply the word, even if just to yourself. So we should all seek to be preachers in that sense. Objection number two, I don't have time. And I think it was John Piper that said social media, if, if nothing else, social media's very existence will show us in the last day that our lack of Bible study will not be because we didn't have time. So something may need to be sacrificed in your life to make time for this true, long, deep, slow study and listening of God's word. All right, uh, objection number three, I don't know how to do what you're talking about. And like I said, we have resources, we can help. We have pastors, we have ministers, we have men's huddles, we have small groups, we have DSI classes, uh, Lord willing, coming soon that are gonna help us do these things. Um, so if you need resources, talk to Dave Pugh, talk to Daniel, talk to me, Alex, any of the, any of the leaders or staff 
would love to help you uh, do these things and use these tools and ways to hear God's word. The word, this word of God, this is living and active. And it's not just for reading, uh, but for worship. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll sing again. Oh Lord, let our cry come before you and give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea come before you now. Deliver us according to your word. Our lips will pour forth praise, for you teach us your statutes. Our tongues will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help us, for we have chosen your precepts. We long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is our delight. Let our souls live and praise you, and let your rules help us. We have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servants, for we do not forget your commandments. Amen.